Before we begin this podcast, I acknowledge and pay my respect to the Muinina people, the traditional and original custodians of this land on which I'm recording. Let's not forget that sovereignty was never ceded. We need a treaty and to keep working for reconciliation. In that spirit, I recognise the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connection to land, sea and community. I pay my respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And finally, I recognise that the subject on which I'm speaking, place sensitive resilience and adaptation to change, is a subject on which First Nations people hold deep generational knowledge and expertise. We are all needed, together in relationship, to heal the lands that hold us and protect the flows of life on Earth. Welcome to Going Home Now, a podcast about finding ways to weather what the future holds for us while making it as beautiful as possible. We know it holds dangerous changes to our climate. We know it likely holds some kind of collapse of societal structures. We know in our bones that it will be hard. What we don't know is what we will become in that process. What will humanity become as it meets that moment in history? One possibility is that we might look around and see that we have gone somewhere with this global economic machine and this troubled culture that we don't want to be. We are humans, and this is not a humane place. We want to go home now. Whatever that may be, perhaps you'll soon be turning and making the journey. Hello and welcome to episode one of Going Home Now. I'm your host, Andy Wildman. I recorded this introductory episode in January of this year, 2022, and the podcast is now going live in June, and there was also such a long lead up to making this happen. So I'd just like to say to those people to whom I've been promising a podcast, and you know who you are, thank you for waiting. You've been my inspiration to finally get my act together and do this. I hope it lives up to at least a few expectations. Much love to you all, and now here's the episode. I thought for the very first episode that I should lay out for you as plainly as I can what kind of value this podcast intends to provide, what it deals with, what it doesn't deal with, the approach it takes, and what it cares deeply about. I'll be defining some terms along the way and articulating my take on certain well-known ideas to give you a sense of how I'm coming at this topic, and so you can decide whether or not it's your cup of tea. Ready? Okay, let's go. If this podcast has caught your attention, you likely understand that there are big things shaping up in the world. You understand that climate change is real. You probably understand that the world's ecosystems have been pushed for decades, even centuries, toward a point of irreversible breakdown. You likely have a sense that our global economic systems are horribly flawed systems and have a very real vulnerability to collapse, and more, I'm sure, that you're aware of. Not irreversible in the sense that they'll never recover, but irreversible in the sense that they'll never be the same again. They'll have to become a different thing. And you likely understand that all of these things are wicked problems in the sense that they are deeply complex, they run under no one's control, they morph and change and reveal new layers and drivers, perverse incentives, feedback loops and so forth. And hence they likely can't be solved in the way that some problems can be identified, analysed and addressed in a timely and professional manner, say. And yet, while they won't be solved by some dedicated team of heroes or even by rousing prime ministers and presidents and chancellors and 
their army of bureaucrats into action. These forces brewing in the world must be engaged with. If we care about life on Earth, they simply must, because they are existential threats. And, and an existential threat, by the way, a term that is getting quite common these days and thereby getting blurry, is something quite simply that threatens your existence. And they don't just threaten our continues, continuation as a civilization or as a species, they threaten so much that is beautiful and wonderful about our world. They threaten great damage to the wondrous results of millions of years of evolution. Without going into it too much, I just want to recognise here that there's probably not an easily nameable set of problems to point to. It feels as if there is. Climate change, for believers, is quite obviously one. Resource depletion, perhaps, is a name we can probably say confidently. Habitat destruction, perhaps, loss of biodiversity, all, all true. But a larger truth is that these threats are quite a complex suite of interrelated planetary shudders or stresses or some such that arise from modern civilization's presence on the planet, any and all of which could rise onto centre stage as the defining issue of our time, or subside again, or jump seemingly out of nowhere, the way viral pandemics have. You can't really name two or three big issues with confidence and say state that everything hinges upon them. With this kind of complexity, I think, you simply have to allow that worldwide forces swirl and fold back and make sudden waves and do things you might not expect. But for our purposes here, it's not as important to identify exact problems as it might seem. I'll come back to this in greater depth, but for now I just want to acknowledge that while I will refer to specific problems a lot, climate change will be a constant focus, for example, I don't actually think that what we're talking about here the existential threats we face are made up of linear issues from which we can predict outcomes from a narrative of cause and effects. It's much more alive and wild and unfolding than that. So anyway, people like to argue about just how threatening these problems are, and so at this point maybe I'm expected to muster scientific backup for what I've just said. And I'm not going to do that. Perhaps that's laziness or lack of interest in backing myself up, but more importantly, it's about doing better service to a certain sort of person. Clearly, uh, clearly I'm hoping that that's you, dear listener, and I hope to do well by you in the sense that I don't want to tell you stuff that you already know, have already processed, and are ready to act on. I don't want to bore you by taking the academic approach that says you must have evidence for everything you say. I mean, really, stuff that. If I lose the people who want the evidence, so be it. The reality is that I'm making this podcast to speak directly to people who have already processed the reality of large and threatening forces so I can help them to act well on that knowledge. So while I'm on that subject, there's a few promises that I want to make here in regard to this podcast. I promise not to try to convince anyone of the reality of climate change or any other large force brewing in the world. Yes, I acknowledge that there is many people out there that don't believe in climate change and who might have trouble believing in other big deals too. This podcast isn't for them, as they'll be questioning the very premise that it's built on, and changing their worldview is not my work in the world. I promise not to engage much with the politics that surround these issues. I acknowledge that politics are important, but they're not my field and not my interest. I'm interested in home and local community scale practical work that we can do in our individual lives that contribute to emergent and powerful change for the good of life on earth. I promise not to try to cajole, urge or inspire you into action on anything. I'm assuming you are already looking hard for high quality action, 
and if I can help with identifying any, then great. This is a conversation about the search itself, not the need to be on it. I promise not to patronise you with positive spin. Yes, this podcast is built on a positive perspective, but only because I've genuinely arrived at one and I feel I have something positive to contribute. I truly and utterly dislike the notion that you have a responsibility to be positive and hopeful because otherwise you'll be discouraging people from taking positive action. I mean, what a crock of patronising brown stuff. We're all responsible for filtering each other's points of view and I assume you will filter mine with sovereignty and intelligence. And a few more that I may as well throw in as they're important too. I promise not to deliberately dumb anything down as I'm probably dumb enough as it is and you may be well ahead of me in many aspects of this subject matter but still might benefit say from my perspective as I might from yours. This is all about showing up and bringing our insights to the table while respecting each other's intelligence. I promise to respect complexity in general. The reality is that the world is more complex than the human mind was built to receive. And temporarily simplifying for the purpose of clarity and understanding is utterly different from insisting on simplicity uh, because of a lack of tolerance for complexity discomfort. In order to engage with the issues of our times, we need a certain tolerance for uncertainty and complexity, and I will respect that capacity in you if you will respect the grappling with it that I'm doing over here. Ultimately, I think that also leads to a final promise, which is harder to make, but I feel committed to doing my best. It leads us into a more spiritual realm, where I hope you're not afraid to go. I promise to respect the mystery that lies behind all this discussion. Ultimately, we can't know for sure what nature is doing. It's wondrously deeper than we we can fathom. And the future especially is an unknowable realm. This podcast is not about hyper-rational approaches to those things. It's just about working with what we've got and what we can understand as small creatures on a huge planet. So that's a few things I'm saying I won't do. So perhaps it's time to talk about what I will be doing. But I should also say that uh, in even though the world situation is really quite frightening, and that's a large reality of thinking about these things, fear is not where we want to put our focus, is it? Any spiritually healthy human, no matter how serious things get, will always be more interested in the beauty, the meaning, the tenderness and love inherent in a situation. And that's a wonderful thing about us humans, I think. It might lead us into denial sometimes, into places of wishful thinking, but that's okay. We can always come out of our fantasies once they've given us some rest and peace and temper them with clear-eyed vision and courage. And that movement itself, back and forth, produces a kind of wisdom, I think, that can't be gained from continuous focus on the darkness and the, the threat space. And this is where I think things get more juicy and interesting. When we accept the threat space and give it its due attention, What then for staying sane and human? How does a person assimilate the gravity of a situation into their hearts with increasing depth and rigour, while at the same time moving always towards the grace, the lightness and humour, and really the love and the joy that can be found there? I should probably also say something about the format of the podcast. It will be a fortnightly effort, dropping a new episode every second Friday, and will be a mix, probably 50-50, of solo shows, a bit like this one, 
and interviews with people who I think can make a great contribution to this discussion. You may also be wondering about me, who I am and what's my story. I guess you might be wondering what sort of qualifications or background I bring to this and I will likely do an episode soon that includes more of my story but I think it's probably enough for now to say that I'm a building designer and a builder and I've been designing and building things for a long time now and alongside that I've been involved in cooperative governance helping to run a workers' cooperative here in Tasmania, learning about what makes a group cohere and empower each other in their decision-making. And before that, I worked in content production as a writer and editor and spent quite a while, too long really, in postgraduate study, which was in various English departments in different universities in Western Australia and here in Tasmania. But I also had the privilege of dreaming up interdisciplinary projects that combined that love of literature and cultural study with environmental studies and human geography. But probably more importantly, I've been heavily involved the last few years in building a community-oriented business here in southern Tasmania. It's called We're Humans Project. It's a social enterprise all about building resilience and genuine connections that will strengthen and deepen our adaptive capacity to meet the challenges of climate change and everything else that comes our way. And this podcast is a part of that larger project, along with a blog and other offerings and resources, and it can all be found at www.wearehumans.com.au. I'll talk more about the larger relevance of We Are Humans project to this podcast project later, but what's perhaps worth saying now is something about the contradiction at the heart of it. As I said, I've been a builder and a building designer for a while now. A building designer, if you don't know, by the way, is someone who fills most, almost the same role as an architect, but has trained in drafting and general design and construction of buildings rather than architecture as such, with a capital A, uh, which is usually more academically demanding than building design. Often a building designer works with less overall risk and liability, but not always. So that's a little bit of a um, aside. But I suppose I went into that field because, amongst other feelings, I have a strong love of home places. And I have a sense of how wonderful and beautiful and nourishing they can be. And I find the act of building them to be fundamentally creative in the sense that you are creating from your hands and your imagination something wonderfully tangibly important to people's lives. And over the years, as I learned more about the world and became more and more shocked about where it was headed, I became more and more focused on the home and the refuge and the resilience that's possible to generate there. And I became obsessed with how a home place can provide an alternative path away from the madness of the modern world. And my design and construction skills actually arose out of that obsession. But the more you learn about the world and particularly climate change, the more you realise how easily a home place and all its carefully designed systems and art and effort can be taken away. The effects of climate change as we saw here in Australia with the fires of 2019-2020 can easily wipe out these efforts, you know, wipe them off the table. But beyond that, Uh, Even before I really clued into that fundamental vulnerability, I began to feel in my bones that 
this tremendous focus on homes was actually displaced, a mistake, that it was something I'd inherited as a child of the 70s and 80s in affluent Australia, an assumption that homes were the thing that you built for yourself and your family. But the more I struggled through adulthood, as many of us do with the modern economic system, the more I realised that wasn't the most important thing to me. So eventually I arrived at a promise to myself that before I built a home, I would build two other things, a community and a contribution to the struggle of our time. I'm talking about genuine, meaningfully supportive community and a genuine, meaningful con contribution to where human culture needs to evolve. After my relationships with those I love, those are the two most important things to me. But here's the contradiction, and it's a creative tension at the heart of the business that I'm building. Yes, relationships and community are what matter, and if you came into a radical acceptance that climate change might easily make physical chaos of all your plans, you know, so easily change everything, what would you build? You'd build relationships and community, spiritual resilience, not houses, gardens and systems. That's where true resilience lies anyhow, not in physical constructions. But you need a home while you do it, and that home can still be a lifeboat, a refuge, a way to live a dignified, more human existence in a fundamentally unhuman, self-perpetuating system. And we need more than ever to love our homes and the lands we live in, and we need more than ever to make them more just, more ecologically aligned, more human. So I decided that the contribution I wanted to make was to live in that tension, to bring the creative joy of designing, making, building to that contradiction. So We Are Humans Project, the business, the social enterprise that I'm currently building, has a question at its heart. How do we make, build, design a better, more human life in deeper connection to our landscapes and homes at the same time as letting it all go and living lightly and profoundly in the knowledge that we will all need to become more radically flexible radically adaptable to the changes that are accelerating in our collective lives. The business is carefully designed to address that question and this podcast is born out of that effort and that search, but I'm not designing the podcast carefully, it's just the raw journey, the questions asked out loud, the learning and the conversations in the search. I'm no expert on climate change or macroeconomics or disaster preparedness or homesteading or regenerative agriculture or social governance, shared governance or community resilience, um, alternative economics or spiritual resilience, but all of those things are deep interests that I've held for a, a long time and I believe they're all wildly relevant to our time. I'm embarking on this project, A, because I feel that I might have accumulated some useful insights that are worth passing to my people and B because I want to go further on the journey and I'm hoping that I have faith that there are plenty of like-minded souls on a similar journey and that we can do this together. But of course there are a multitude of other questions that arise from what I've articulated so far and I also want to acknowledge that this is often for a lot of us quite difficult territory. Not only is there a lot to be quite rightly frightened about in contemplating the future and the state of the world, there's also for many of us a sense of intractability or impenetrable complexity about it, as in what could we possibly do in the face of all this. 
For example, if we are people who are deeply concerned about where the world is headed and would love to feel engaged and empowered to adapt our lives accordingly, what exactly do we do that can be realistically appraised as meaningful and useful? Even if we are willing to work on our personal and economic lives at a foundational level to adapt, to build resilience and flexibility and a real responsiveness to the trajectory of world circumstances, doing so can be very difficult. Most of us are confronted even at the level of initial thinking and strategizing with structural barriers to change. I'm not talking about change that we want society to make, I'm talking about structural barriers in the way of just making our own lives more robust and responsive. It's one thing to see clearly, for example, that we might be deeply reliant on fossil fuel transport and that this situation not only implicates us in the problem of carbon pollution and implicates us in war and other forms of economic and political bullying and makes us vulnerable to its system volatility, its price spikes and perverse incentives and, of course, its eventual breakdown. But it's another thing to actually unhitch our lives from the use of a car or from ever getting on a plane, especially if, like so many of us, our families are spread geogra geographically thin and being willing to fly is a matter of love, not just a desire to travel. And harder again to eat in a way that decouples us from a supply chain that's heavy with the fumes of burned-up fuel. We live comprehensively by way of fossil fuels and other polluting energy, as painful as that may be. And that's just one example among many of the structural barriers, in other words, the design of society, the way it works, are formidable barriers. They're enough to make it quite fair that perhaps we give each other and give ourselves grace to give up from frustration. For this reason, amongst others, I really feel sympathetic to rhetorical eco-shaming of each other and generally don't believe in much in environmental guilt other than raw pain at what we're doing to the world. But I'll come back to that social phenomenon later at a later point because it's a, a can of worms that deserves a careful opening. My point here is that all this can easily make us feel disempowered, overwhelmed, sometimes, as I said, guilty or ashamed, and sometimes completely without hope. And the way that modern economies work, whereby so many of us are pedalling as hard as possible just to keep our families or ourselves afloat, it can feel as if we would need to be superhuman to deal with our current obligations at the same time as addressing the deeply concerning future. Many people struggle to even see where change is possible in their personal lives or struggle to see those changes being meaningful even if they were to achieve them. I personally find this quite reasonable. You might argue that many of our collective sins are points of simple laziness or banal acts of wastefulness quite easily within the realm of conscientiousness, but that might be true. But forging a meaningfully different path away from the culture that manifests those sins is also an effort that faces strong currents of resistance. And making that effort is so often outside the limits of our personal reserves of energy. And slightly different again, many people also see the changes needed as external to their lives, resigning in the political realm or in large-scale technology projects, for example. I have a lot of sympathy for that point of view too, but if you feel that way and you keep listening, you'll pretty quickly notice that this podcast 
and all the work that I do with We Are Humans Project takes for granted that it's not the case. I, In fact, I take for granted that there is years and years of work to do and that can be done in our personal lives. I take for granted that there are ways and means of worming our way through the barriers, but only because that's been the subject of my interests and my research for the past decade or so, and it's become familiar to me. But you know, And that's exactly the sort of thing we'll be working on here. Just that effort alone could carry a podcast through a few hundred episodes, I reckon. But we'll be tackling it from a cluster of directions, from going deep into design process and design thinking, which is my main method of tackling these things, being a designer, to simply trying to understand important context, to taking spiritual measure of our situation, to trying out strategic acts of imagination, to putting faith in collective wisdom, to examining history for clues, to asking for help from unfamiliar cultures and being open to sources of wisdom that you or I might not locate within our comfort zones. All this and any other strategy that strikes a note of truth or of possibility will likely be shoehorned into the journey. And that's the journey that I'm committed to here on the podcast and in my other work because I suppose that I've learned that there's so much we can, that we can do. I've learned over the years that if you're patient and keep looking for the cracks and the moments of possibility, there are actually some answers to be found to those difficult questions. Or perhaps if not clearer answers, then a deeper, more truer level of questions, questions that become the path that you wanted answers to take you on. And that ultimately, even if it's to be found in unfamiliar terrain, that empowerment is possible. Given the complexity of the situation, finding it isn't easy as such or fast. Sometimes it's gained inch by grinding inch, sometimes all in a happy rush. But overall, I want to say that it's not as inaccessible as it can seem. So if you're feeling at all weary and at all defeated by some of these questions, that's an encouragement that I want to give you. Not that I don't ever feel that way myself, I really do, and I will probably go there plenty more times. But I want to say that there is a world of happy work to be done in sorting through these things. And the thing that I find personally most encouraging about exploring this realm, doing this work, is something that I've noticed over and over again in the character of the solutions, the genuine revelations and the important discoveries that people have made in this space. The thing that most of the useful moves have in common is that they feel more human. They sit better with the animal that we are, better than the previous schema that we were living with. And when you make a paradigm shift into a better way of thinking about these things, it's almost always a shift into a more compassionate stance on who we actually are as a species. And after a while of doing those kinds of moves, you start to feel a bit more pride in the species to which we belong, a little less shame at the darkness and the violence and the repetitive way in which we do genuinely shitty things so very often. It's not that it gives you reasons to feel okay or to gloss that reality or to avoid really hard lessons that really do need to be learnt about the way we conduct ourselves in the world. It's more that you sense that humans have an even deeper current that we run by. And I don't think I'm alone in feeling a growing, tender sort of sense that despite everything, that deeper current is quite lovely. I feel quite vulnerable in stating that belief in public, actually, because 
you never quite know how much you might be swayed by wishful thinking or just not in tune with some primal reality underneath the layers of your perception. Um, or perhaps that your psyche is making a raw bid for stabilising hopefulness in some realm of evidence that's ultimately self-constructed. But I'm going to stand by it anyway as it feels more and more real to me the older I get and the more determinedly fluid I become in the way I source my understanding of the world and more simply perhaps it just rings a clearer note of truth as time goes by. And that brings me to something that is inspiring to me about this work of resilience and adaptation that makes it deeply aspirational and community-oriented and ecology-oriented in the long game. I think one of the most important things that we do as people who want to stay true to that deeper current in humans and to act from it in our lives is that we actively imagine our way from defensive stances to creative stances. To make that clearer, what I mean is that it can be very easy and natural even when we see that this is a very dangerous time in history to reach for acts of defence, of safety and security. I'm not wanting to state this as a problem because we all deserve to be safe and secure. Growing our own food can be like that, it can be about food security and safety and that's totally fine. And doing resilience planning can be like that and that's totally fine. I'm more wanting to state it as a stage in a project or, some, or a part of something larger. Because when we sit long enough with the danger, what becomes apparent are a few crucial sorts of truth. Uh, one uh, is when we're in danger, we do something that's instinctive to humans and that's pull together and be attentive to what each other needs. And two, when we sit with the danger, we start to see that the danger is a breakdown of stability and therefore a breakdown of patterns we depend on, but also a breakdown of stability and therefore of patterns that are keeping us from reaching our potential as humans. And thirdly, if we can simultaneously listen to, attend to what we actually need as humans and see new opportunities to finally find ways to move beyond old patterns and give to each other what we all need, then this breakdown of society, frightening as it is, starts to call to us as a path to beauty and freedom. Not as an opportunity to push a political agenda, but as an opening whereby emergent possibilities for humans begin to solidify into the positive evolution of human ways of life on Earth. And I guess that opens up this path of ideas to another idea that feels truer and truer to me as time goes by. The idea that however we get through this mess of climate emergency, of failing systems, failing governance, failing nation states, various exponential and existential threats, we will get through it not by any logical plan of action or set of technological breakthroughs which we move to scale in the length of time and not by following through on internationally negotiated accords named after cities we'll get through by some emergent phenomena that we as yet can't understand perhaps we won't get through at all and that's a real possibility on the table but if we do i really believe that it will happen by some astonishingly complex upswell of all the above action and so much more unfathomably more and that's why it's important for all of us to engage our imaginations and not settle for defensive stances only. 
Yes, find protective solutions, but also find emergent solutions, creative solutions. That's what I think of when I say the word adaptation in this context. Stuff that we could never have imagined possible in our lifetimes. To paraphrase Adrian Marie Brown, no matter how we've been socialized, marginalized, brutalized, or so placed within this world, we all have a right to imagine and contribute to the future. It's a privilege of being alive and it's not to be wasted. I, for one, want to imagine and contribute to new and kinder ways of doing economic relationships, wonderful new ways of truly listening to and accommodating each other, new and precious commitments and relationships to our watersheds, our landscapes, our fellow creatures and our home places, that sort of thing. And despite the huge and seemingly intractable monolith of our repressive and destructive world systems, or perhaps because of them, I want to imagine more wildly and beautifully than we have in the past. And I know so many of you do too. Whatever is to emerge, we have a responsibility to contribute to it as being as beautifully human as possible. Anyhow, I think that's probably enough of an introduction to this podcast. I hope it gives you a sense of what we'll be talking about here and what might emerge here to learn from, think about and contribute to. I hope you'll come with me on the journey. I have a feeling it will be joyful and revelatory and we'll discover things we don't expect. I have a feeling it will be humbling and empowering at the same time and I have a feeling it will be fun. If you're interested to learn more, you can, as I said earlier, jump on our website at www.wearehumans.com.au. You can just subscribe to this podcast there or on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. And otherwise engage with us, join our community and join the conversation. We are not as yet on social media, which may be a surprise, but we've decided that so many of the business models within the social media space, most of the big ones anyhow, deserve a very careful level of engagement as these pervasive models can be so destructive to community cohesion and collective sense-making and people's mental health that it doesn't make sense to us to simply make use of their reach without having a guiding strategy around it. This isn't for us about boycotting social media, it's more about contributing to the effort to move digital culture and social media technologies towards safer, more community-oriented practices. This effort is in progress but needs more capital and capacity, so if this is in your realm of expertise and you'd like to help us meet this challenge, please get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. When we do finally have a social media presence and you've subscribed to the podcast or the blog, we'll let you know. Well, that's all for now. I hope you've gotten something from this introduction and I hope to hear from you in some way at some point and to talk more about building together our adaptive capacity as fully human humans on a beautiful planet. For now and until next time, take care and look after each other.